Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 30 of the Medical Device Success podcast and videocast. I am Ted Newell, your host, and I'm also the host of the MedTech Leaders community. More about the community in just a minute. Today's episode is titled, A DIY Social Media Campaign Creates Actionable Sales Leads in MedTech. This is the first of our series on demand generation, and demand generation in MedTech right now is very important because many of our traditional methods of demand generation are no longer viable in this COVID era and may not be viable for a long time to come. In today's episode, Bob Iasillo, National Sales Director of 2020 Now, an SAAS service provider in the ophthalmic medtech sector, walks us through what led him down this path and his social media platform of choice. It is really surprising, and I think you will be surprised too. Another benefit of this campaign is that it greatly enhanced website traffic, and that website traffic, or at least analysis of that website traffic, helped him further qualify these leads. This didn't cost Bob very much. He didn't use an agency. He did not use a formal marketing automation platform. He simply dug in and did it himself. That's why we call it DIY. And for my international listeners, DIY means do it yourself. And it's typically reserved for the area of crafts and home improvements and home repairs, where somebody is essentially fixing something themselves or doing some remodeling themselves. And that's why we get the term do-it-yourself. And I'm using it here today as DIY. A minute ago, I mentioned the MedTech Leaders community. It is a place where MedTech leaders and sales and marketing professionals get together to share best practices problems, solutions, ideas, and to learn from subject matter experts. We have over 70 members from 18 countries, and there's a 30-day free trial. So you can try it and learn quite a bit for free for 30 days. I encourage you to give it a look. And you can learn more at medtechleaders.mn.co. Now back to this episode and Bob's social media strategies for actionable leads. (laughs) Bob, it's great to have you in the program. This is a really interesting subject, and it our first conversation, you really blew me away. So I'm glad you're here. I think you got some interesting stuff to share. Ted, thanks for having me. I, I super appreciate it. Oh, it's terrific. And you are a fellow podcaster. You've got two brand new podcasts under your belt under the future of eye care, which I think is a great idea, by the way. I've stolen all the ideas I'm, I'm going to share with you today. So two <laughs> two episodes in, I hardly consider myself a, a fellow podcaster, but I'm I'm certainly trying to execute some of the strategies that that have been shared with me for sure. Well, right now in podcasting in the industry for ophthalmology, really the only thing I see is the um, Ophthalmology Innovation Summit OIS. 
and those are those are actually quite biased toward who the investors have invested in, in my mind, um, in that organization. So to have an independent person like yourself, anyway, I think it's good. I think you can actually go pretty far with it. So we'll get onto our subject. And the subject matter today is what I consider, we say DIY in the United States, do it yourself type of social media campaign that Bob put me onto during in one of his posts in the MedTech Leaders community. And so first, Bob, just introduce yourself. Who are you and what do you do at 2020 Now? Sure. Bob Iacello recently joined 2020 Now, which is a teleoptometry services company. What they're doing that's unique is they are doing a full comprehensive eye exam in a brick and mortar, in a doctor or, or optical building where where a patient comes in, gets the full exam, but the doctor and the the certified technician that does the refraction are actually remote. So it's like a teleoptometry play in reverse with the goal being to expand available coverage, hours of coverage, nights and weekends, additional days of week coverage. So it's an it's a teleoptometry play where patients come in, get a full service, can purchase their their optical purchase there not like online refractions or things like that. That's not an area where, where we want to be in. It's that's under a lot, a lot of scrutiny and, and not looked favorably upon for the most part. So th that's what we're doing. I joined in July as the national sales director to, to basically launch this more to the commercial side of the business. Company's been around for seven years, mostly, you know, several of those first years were, we're getting the, you know, IP together, the software vertically integrated into 18 different companies' products lines. So all the equipment that's existing in an office, they can integrate into. And then a couple of years ago, started launching into big box retail locations, as well as some private optical and private practice locations. The main reason I joined the company was brought on to bring on more of the, the independent eye care channel the private practice optometry, the private practice or or smaller regional optical or or multi-location doctor groups. Okay. And so for listeners and viewers, I'm going to put a little more perspective to this. Everybody that is listening or watching this video cast has probably had an eye appointment. You go into a lane or you go to a pre-testing area probably first and they get a few measurements of your eye, a technician does. Then you go into a room which in our in the industry we call a lane which has some more fancy equipment that the doctor can inspect your eye and so what bob's talking about is that a technician can actually take a patient in this room and almost turn the exam from that point over to somebody that is virtual that is on a computer screen talking to the patient and the doctor, the actual doctor that's in this office, he might be in a different exam lane working on something more serious with a patient. So now the doctor has multiplied himself. And the reason this is important, because in the eye care business, we actually, in a lot of areas, we have a shortage of professional people. Uh, they're not graduating enough ophthalmologists to take care of people. Optometrists have to step in. And this is a great way for somebody to expand their practice. And the other thing Bob and I talked about the other day is there are doctors out in Nowheresville, Oklahoma, or Virginia, or something like that. They cannot get another young new optometrist to come work for them to save their life. This saves their life. So it's a really great program. As I came to understand it better, I'm just really fascinated. I think it has a lot of potential. Yeah. I think there's a, a big area there where we need to just educate the, the 
you know, public as a whole, including the doctors of exactly what we're doing, because there, there is still a lot of, I have people that visit our website where I have to work on the messaging there, uh, obviously, and people are still confused exactly how we're doing it because it's, it's almost unbelievable. And so right. there's always that when you're doing something brand new, bringing something brand new to the market that is disruptive, hate to use the frame, phrase paradigm shifting, but it is a total paradigm shift for a doctor to imagine they don't have to be in the room to be able to do a comprehensive eye exam. That's really unbelievable to them. So there's a, there's a level of education that's required there. Right. Okay. So you come on several months ago and you get to know the business a little bit better, understand what your challenges are. What starts keeping you awake at night? Sure. What, what keeps me awake everywhere <laughs> I've launched new technology, which is in the past, always 100% outbound cold calling, developing the sales force to be 100% outbound to drive demand and started to realize it just, you know, almost 10 years ago, the access was starting to really get limited several years ago. I mean, vision care reimbursements in eye care across all medical really are, are always headed to zero on a long enough timeline, right? So, you know, declining reimbursements means doctors have to see twice as many patients in order to to make the same type of money that they were before. This is, is one of the benefits that we can help them to ex expand their coverage, right? But in terms of getting that access, um, it, it, I just noticed a long time ago that was declining. So, you know, I was on the LinkedIn bandwagon some time ago where, I, you know, I wrote up, you know, guidelines for, for my two startups ago, asked them to, to uh, you know, have more of a cohesive unit, the company as a whole, liking, commenting, sharing, you know, everyone else posts. So, you know, this is, this is pretty much something that's been on my mind for some time. I've been tracking people in marketing in the software sales sector, um, enterprise, mid-sized level sales sector, who have been talking about demand generation and a lot of what they said just resonated with me very early on in terms of, you know, goals set by VC backed companies and, you know, these unobtainable goals and the average tenure of a sales leader at an organization being 18 months or less. Yeah. So just so much of this stuff resonated with me that I, I followed Chris Walker from Refine Labs, pretty much everything I'm going to share with you today. I pretty much taken from him on his, his podcast series. I rewatch episodes like it's Netflix. I mean, I literally have watched his his podcast series two times through and like, you know, and that that's how good the content is because I'm into it, I'm learning it and I'm, I'm, I'm delivering on it. And so, you know, when you're, when you're just engaged in something like that, there's a higher level of interest, but that's what I noticed early on was that this thing was not going to be an outbound cold call there. There's the, the level of success I would have the cost. And we're going to talk about that, Like, right? What yeah, is a yeah. lead? What's the cost of a lead? you know, let's really get down to some tactics and some definitions, but that's, I immediately knew I was going to have to do something drastically different in order to launch this company. Okay. So you're also joining just after COVID has hit and it's changed everything. So I'm going to share a slide here. We're going to talk about the challenges to demand generation. Now, demand generation, the way I define demand generation is it's a, it's a wide spectrum of activity uh, but for most med tech, especially small and medium, when I say medium, I'm talking about companies up to $150 million in revenue. For most of them, it's been on the back of the sales force. They go out and they prospect and they get leads. So with COVID hitting, field sales forces cannot prospect face-to-face. -face, and then field sales forces, they lack the tools and training to prospect virtually. 
the traditional trade shows are gone. So uh, a small medium company, who knows, they might go to four to 15 or 20 trade shows a year, you know, regional, uh, national, state, international. Virtual trade shows have been very disappointing. And we're actually, for MedTech leaders, we're organizing a panel right now to discuss virtual trade shows and the results people have experienced with those. So we can talk about you know, some get, giving ourselves some direction going forward. Webinars are disappointing as lead generators. And then you've got this technology and sales-driven culture of most small to medium-sized med tech companies. So they're really um, um, underpowered in terms of marketing. What would you add to that? Anything? Yeah, well, yeah, I would start the leading actually. And, and, and <laughs> what I mean by that is so much of this stuff is was broken before COVID. Yeah, uh, it was it was broken ten years ago. The the Martech companies have a vested interest. The trade show companies have a vested interest in trying to get people to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on trade show booths, events, and softwares that just simply do not work because they're driven with the wrong intent. I mean, this is, I, I believe this before I even really understood it right now, now that I understand it, because I've had an expert explain it to me, you know, now, now I totally believe it. Like I'm a total believer. So a big portion of this is what's the intent behind your outbound activities. And so you got to understand that virtually, you know, as a salesperson, I'm always going outbound to try to make the sale, right? Is it really to educate the customer? And so I think when you totally flip what you're doing, to try to educate, which is what you're doing right now. Right. What you're doing is you're trying to educate and that's what I'm trying to do with the podcast that, that I'm doing. And you learn so much, you, you know, just one episode, one conversation, even that we didn't record, right? Like how much do you learn from your customers? So imagine if you will, instead of trying to cold call customers, I contact them and ask them my ideal customer. I contact them and ask them if they'd like to be on my podcast to talk about the future of eye care. What do you think the response rate is to that versus versus me contacting those same people three months ago and asking if, if they'd like to chat? And these are people that I know that I've sold products to before that I've made a lot of money before. The, um, the non-response rate initially, so you asked me before what kept me up at night, was immediately I knew this was not an outbound prospect opportunity and I was going to have to do something different so, so yeah, I think it's the intent of what your marketing is. There's, there's different segments. There's brand awareness there, you know, there's straight brand. Yeah. Right. And then, so we're talking about content creation, demand generation. So, you know, do you have to be at that trade show? I'm, I'm a firm believer. I don't think I ever needed to be at a trade show. I think every deal I ever sold at a trade show for the, you know, 95% of them, I would have sold regardless because I could have gotten that customer to go to a different doctor's location to demo a device. I yeah. said, I sold them at a dinner meeting afterwards when I had a KOL present, I did not need to have a hundred thousand dollar trade show booth. Okay. So, so you're listening to Chris Walker and you start to get this idea of using social media to start to generate activity for yourself. And this is what really blew me away. And you tried a couple different social medias. So let's talk about you going into social media to promote the 2020 now service and um, the different uh, platforms you tried and what happened. Sure. You want me to share a screen here? Sure. Sure. So I can go through a couple slides first. 
and I'll just keep it in this view for simplicity's sake. But sure. Um, first things first is uh, paid social on Facebook. So paid ads on Facebook simply cannot be beat. If you haven't watched the show, the uh, the social dilemma on Netflix. After I watched the show, the show is meant to scare people into how bad social media is for people <laughs> because of what they're doing, which is they're selling your eyeballs to companies who are paying to do advertising on them. Right. And, and they have a system that is so fine tuned that can predict your behavior better than you can, that they know right when to serve you the right ad. And uh, the more I watched that show, there's an hour or half episode, you know, um, you know, documentary. After I watched that, all I want to do is go place another ad. That's how good it is. So what you're looking at here, this was before we now let me before you get into that, let me ask sure. you something. Did you did you this is Facebook data, correct? Correct. Okay. And well, or is this website data? Yeah. So this is Google. I'm sharing with you Google Analytics. Analytics data, for the website. Which is and, Okay, and this was generated by Facebook, the, this curve. Did you try LinkedIn? Yeah, so I'll share with you. When you can go in and you can look in your Google Analytics, you can look at referral sources, et cetera. And I can talk with you a little about LinkedIn. Okay. There are things to take into consideration. Number one, like what is your annual contract value? You know, we we are a a an early, very early stage organization where I'm estimating our annual contract value on average is going to be in a certain range. I'm, I'm estimating it's going to be about 50,000 annual. So based off of that, I have certain strategies that based off of, you know, Chris's experience, what would work paid social is right in that wheelhouse. So if you have, if you're somewhere above like a $20,000 ACV, you can go to paid, paid social, both Facebook and LinkedIn, LinkedIn paid ads are very expensive comparatively speaking. Okay. So I'm going to share with that basic based off of your, um, your cost per impression, which is measured in per 1,000 impressions, which I'll, I'll share that data with you. Uh, you know, you're basically around, you could be around two to six dollars, maybe two to ten dollars on um, on a CPC there, right? On LinkedIn? On, on Facebook. On Facebook, okay. On LinkedIn, you could be at 80 to 100 dollars. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, so, so much more expensive. So you start looking at like how much is it per click? And it's it's much more expensive per click on on LinkedIn. And I'm, when I mean that, what I mean is you're paying per impressions, but the number of clicks you're going to get, you're going to see, are going to cost you a whole lot more on LinkedIn. So right now, Facebook is still the right place to be if that's where your market is. What most people don't understand is number one, how to target their market, exactly, and whether or not their market's actually on there. So that's where the trick lies. Like that's kind of the secret soft sauce in in placing good ads on Facebook is knowing how to target your audience with their tools. Because take eye doctors, for example, most of them don't put that they are an eye doctor as their occupation. But there are ways to, to get to that audience that you're looking for. And so that's kind of the secret. There are audience selections where you can choose their likes. So for example, take cardiology. Well, most cardiologists aren't putting that they're a cardiologist, but um, they probably follow the page like, you know, for um, the um, you know, American College of Cardiology or whatever, you know, whatever the associations are, whatever the big trade groups are, they have Facebook pages and people follow them 50,000, 100,000. So suddenly now I have an audience that I can target with 50 to 150,000 target audience. 
and can serve that ad right to that target audience and shows up right on their phone. So that's kind of what we're doing. So what you're seeing here was a weekly trend. And before we started, you can see there was no dark blue here. That was from our social channel. We had very few from LinkedIn. So LinkedIn organic is something I've been trying to build up over time. That's a very long play, free LinkedIn organic, posting content like you and I post, right. clips of podcasts, pictures <laughs> of you know images of pathology, things like that. As soon as you place a Facebook ad, the results are immediate. So you can see in this particular week, I had uh, you know over 600 click-throughs to our site from zero, essentially from zero. And then the following week, you know, over a thousand, 1.5 thousand. And what's very interesting is over time, what you see is this other blue box, this darker blue shade here starts to increase. That's direct search. That's people typing in 2020 now mm. going right to our page. So what you expect, what you have to understand is somebody's scrolling through their Facebook page. You have to understand intent of the channel that you're creating content for. People are not scrolling through pictures of their friends and family expecting to turn around and purchase a $100,000 medical device. But if you deliver compelling content, a case study, something educational, something that gets them to click to learn a little bit more, a landing page that's well optimized to request a demo that they can digest within you know, two to three minutes, then they request a demo. And then from there, now you have them, depending on how your pull through is on your website or whatnot, you've taken someone from searching for their pictures to scheduling a time to come and see you at some point in the future. And right. that's the, that's the, that's ideal. What really happens over time is you get what if I'll share this next graph with you. Here's a graph. And what this shows you is uh, day week and monthly um, trends of visitors to the site. So mainly this graph here, what you can see, we went from around a thousand website visitors per month, 30 days. Most of those are patients. So these are patients that are coming to our locations to be tested. We have, um, they can register for an eye exam on some of our landing pages. So it's within our domain. So virtually all of this was patient volume. Then as soon as we start placing the ad, you can see the bumps each week on the ad spends. And so what you could see is we essentially added around 6,500 to 7,000 new visitors that were that target audience that we targeted on Facebook clearly effective. And then we can talk about dollars. So go ahead. Yeah. So I was going to ask you, so uh, we both know that in optometry, was that your primary target was optometry in this case? Optometry and optical. An optical. Okay. Well, I don't know the numbers for optical, but in optometry, there's 40,000 optometrists in the United States. However, maybe half of those or less are in some form of independent or uh, practice location. The rest are corporate clinic employees, right? Something like that. Right. Okay. When you were, when Facebook was giving you back information about how many targets it thought you had, what did it say? 50,000. Really? So that's I mean, optical, optical and optometry. No, wow. no, that was, that was just optometry. So when I run an ad set for optometry, I'm targeting 50,000 people on Facebook and it, it serves it up to approximately half of them each week, 20,000 plus reach 40,000 impression, which means it goes to them twice. It's, it is scary accurate how good you can target a target audience. If you know what pages optometrists visit. And so how do you, here's the thing. How do you figure out, let's say your, your target audience is 
and Chris gives this example all the time. He's a respiratory, you know, he was selling something for a respiratory therapist. And that that's just another example where how do you know what pages they like? You have to go and talk to them. So whoever your target audience is, you should talk to and you should know what associations, what magazines. So there are a couple groups that that are available within the audience set that I select as well, in addition to American uh, Association of Optometry, American Academy of Optometry, American Optometric Association, um, Review of Optometry. Mm-hmm. Right? That, that's an industry magazine. You could select multiple ones. Maybe I want to target people who like independent frame lines or independent lens companies. You can target that. The problem is you start to get too broad. So yeah. really, big, you know, you could target everyone who likes Essilor, but then that's like 6 million people because it's every patient in the that likes us a lot, right? So you have to be, you have to think about it strategically. How are you going to target them? But uh, whoever your market segment is, I can guarantee you there's a lot of them on Facebook and Instagram. Okay. So most effective place to place the ads. So you got your targets. You, you started experimenting with a campaign with different types of ads. What, what, how did that go? Yeah. It went almost unbelievable. Like I had been doing this for years. (laughs) Mr. Wonderful. So the first ad I ran was Mr. Wonderful. I'll give everyone a tip. You're not allowed to use a celebrity on Facebook. Your ad account will get suspended, deactivated, and you'll have to create a whole new a whole new uh, advertising account, so don't do it. But uh, it worked great for that week. It got 2,000 inbound hits to our page. So, um, you know, so yeah, it was a great advertising tool that we continue to use and repurpose that. I knew when I paid for that endorsement, we would repurpose it multiple times in outbound content. So look at it this way. You're doing, and this is a little bit of a tangent, but how many emails do you get that are, you know, repeated? It's the same email over and over again. Yeah. Uh, dear, dear Ted, you know, it's been a while since we've talked about, and it's just like yawn. Instead, yeah. what if you got something that was like HTML encoded, big bold letters, and it had a an image like this, and you go to click on it to see, you know, and I in my app on emails, I say, Mister Wonderful has, it says, Mister Wonderful from the Shark Tank has a message for eye care providers with a, with a link to click, you know, and it looks like a picture. So I literally take a picture of it because you can't actually embed video in emails. So if someone clicks on that picture. It's actually a hyperlink and it takes them to, to my Vimeo page or my YouTube page. Right. So that's how I'm repurposing that ad over and over again. So that's just one example of a piece of interesting new content. So you got, you know, this is creative, right? And then use it for the proper channel, whether you want to do outbound emails. So outbound emails can work, but not the way 99% of people use it. Right embed a video of some type, be interesting, do something different. Depending on the service that you offer, our, what we're doing, we're taking diagnostic images. So diagnostic images can be in, incredibly experiential, very interesting. Images of the optic nerve head, images of the back of the eye, images of the front of the eye, uh, slit lamp photos. These are examples of ads that I'm running. They get literally one to 2,000 landing page hits this is an example of some of the analytics, 20,000 reach. Um, you know, what's really, what really blows me away is people share my ad. Like, I don't think people realize their ads. If your content is good enough, uh-huh. share it because it's so interesting. And I swear people don't, don't understand that it's actually a paid ad. Isn't that unbelievable? Like that to That's me is unbelievable. Awesome. Yeah. So you look at the number of shares some of these things got. And, um, and then I've had people contact me through, I've, I try to backtrack and figure some of this stuff out. People have contacted us through, through other sources. So pretty interesting. Um, 
I will share one other thing with you that I, I knew you had an interest in, which is this is our this is actually what an uh, a um, the ad manager dashboard looks like. And by the way, when I started this, I had no idea what I was doing. Right? I'm yeah, really, exactly. <laughs> two months ago, I have absolutely no idea what I'm doing. I could tell you all day long. You could watch all the um, podcasts until you go and do it. You know, you really won't won't get it. But I've ran a number of different ads. I'm targeting two different groups primarily. So I have two different ad sets for each for each um, campaign that I run. So you run a campaign within a campaign has an ad set within the ad set. You can do multiple ads. And uh, right now I'm keeping it simple. I'm just doing one ad, but I'm actually going to start adding multiple ads per ad set in order to figure out which messaging and which imagery attracts the best type of people. I've ran two primary type of, of ads, one that is more clinical and one that is more business oriented. Right off the get-go, I found out the business-oriented posts, man, Facebook like doesn't even want to serve them to people. I had some issues. <laughs> I had to like retarget, and you can see the frequency goes up right away. People don't really like it, but I didn't spend all that much money, and what was interesting, because literally Facebook, I had to set to spend $1,000, and Facebook only spent like you know a little under $600, right? a, little, a little over $500. So Facebook didn't even spend it enough. They didn't like it, but- what was interesting was that from this ad, I actually got a couple mid-level contact requests that turned into booked meetings. Okay. So you might do an ad that gets lots of clicks, lots of likes, lots of shares, very top level of funnel, but it doesn't really translate into to, you know, sales qualified meetings. Conversely, you could do something that's more business oriented, case that business case studies are something that's very powerful. You know, um, doctor implements teleoptometry solution sees 40% increase in optical year over year. Might not get a lot of clicks, but the clicks it does get are people that go, I need that. So it's yeah. more high intent. So you have to keep in mind. So I ran one other ad like that, which was um, an actual image of a sign that said doctors are only in like, you know, Tuesdays and Thursdays. And the, the messaging was like, need more doctor coverage 2020 now, you know what I mean? And this is a real sign outside of an optical store. Right. So again, you'll see right off the get-go, not as many. Look, here's the link clicks. The link clicks for this ad set compared to this beautiful image of a slit lamp. Okay, where this one got you know 1,500 clicks up between the two of them. And um, so now what I'm doing actually is I'm running a current ad right now. That is, um, I haven't ran a video in a while, so I have a video set to go out. It's not. It's not. Um, it hasn't been uh, set out yet. But this ad's been running all week. 800 clicks, nice image of a narrow angle glaucoma. It's got a lot of share, you know, so this is what we're doing. And I'll tell you the, um, the inbound. So now we can, I'll stop the share here and I will close my Facebook. So we don't get any more, uh, distractions on the screen. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we can talk about what's all that mean. So we've spent around $6,000 in ad spends in, uh, you know, a little under two months because okay. some of the ads don't serve up the full thousand dollar amount, you know, so it should be around 8,000, but you saw the number before it was a little over $6,000 for two months. And you look at the number of contacts, let's say I've had around 24 qualified contact requests, half of which actually booked a meeting and attended a zoom, a zoom call. And out of that, let's say the majority of them are in pipeline now with an ACV of 50,000. And, and, you know, you know, a typical contract might require that they upgrade a couple pieces of equipment, um, you know, purchase our software, et cetera. So it's around a $50,000 average sale, let's say. 
So let's say 10 of that 24 is in the pipeline right now within the last two months. And our, our pipeline was or is probably a six-month annual sales cycle historically. It's hard to say because it wasn't being tracked and there weren't a lot of sales before I came on board, you know, in terms of a uh, in terms of this target market that we're going to. So in total, what you're looking at is, you know, a half a million dollars in pipeline off of a six thousand dollar ad spend, 10, let's say, let's say 10 booked meetings. So average cost of meeting, simple math, let's say six hundred dollars per booked meeting. And what I have to ask is how many, you know, if you, you have a sales rep that you're paying uh, whatever the number is, you know, $60,000 a year, $100,000 a year base salary, you can very easily, if you have an existing outbound sales team, you can very easily figure out what is your cost per booked meeting off of your SDR, your sales development rep team, or, or whatever term you want to use, whether it's an inside or outside sales team, you can figure out how much it costs you to book the meeting just on the sales salary alone. You can add in your marketing CAC with your marketing uh, cost of customer acquisition. And that really tells you how much it is. And then you can compare how much. Did, so right now it's hard for me to, I don't have any booked revenue after only two months. Here's an important point with testing any of this stuff. When I presented this plan to my CEO, I explained to him, we have to at least commit to run this for the same amount of time that we think our sales cycle is. You can't expect to run $2,000 on, on Facebook and sell faster than you did in, in your typical sales cycle. And we don't know what our sales cycle is. So right. I got this commitment from that. And what we can say, what I can say right now, I have one deal going to contract so far within, a, the deal came in about a month ago. So it's very interesting. I'm running sales tracking software on our website, um, IP tracking software. So I can see how many times people have visited our website with what, what pages have they visited. And when you look at that stuff, you can see here's somebody who's been on our website for over an hour. They visited 20 pages. I know what pages they were on before they ever even contacted us. So that's what I really want to talk with you about is how much the sales process has changed where we used to be the shepherds of information. And now by the time somebody comes to us to, to request a contact, they've, they've already done so much research that really you're answering questions. You're just kind of shepherding, shepherding them through the, the purchasing process. It really has changed. And if you haven't changed that model, if you haven't adapted to fulfill that model, I think you're missing a, a huge opportunity. So to go back a little bit to the um, the, the booked meetings, I have one deal in uh, contract at this point within a month. So you look at the velocity of that sales cycle, comparatively speaking, with a half a million dollars in pipeline after only two months and a $6,000 ad spend, I, I mean, how many salespeople would I have had to hire to even be able to do that if they even could? With an early stage company without much brand recognition to launch something brand new, I can't see any other way to do it. And I've launched other companies with cold call, hardcore cold calling initiative, boots on the ground. I can't even see it happening anymore, really, For depending on what you have, uh, depending on how big your company is. But hopefully that that answer, I mean, I, I know I threw a lot of information at, at y'all, so I'll pause there. Oh, that's, no, that's really terrific. And, and that's what really blew me away was the fact that it was Facebook. And I guess I just didn't understand, talk about a traditional med tech guy that's done some marketing and some sales management in the past. And I didn't understand the power of Facebook and how well you could target within Facebook and then the how economical it was. That I just found fascinating. And I think it's really important for a lot of 
you know, small, medium-sized companies, they don't know what they can do. And even though we're having this program and a few people are going to see it, it's still not going to be, you know, wide industry knowledge for a long, long time. In fact, you mentioned the other day that you've rarely seen anything um, on Facebook like this. Yeah. You know, I won't call out any companies individually, but I actually see a couple of, since I started advertising, I've actually seen a couple of companies. I don't know if they're, they saw my ads. I, I think that Mr. Wonderful ad, a lot of people in our industry saw that Mr. Wonderful ad. Oh, And I think they saw that. And I think there was a lot of head shaking, you know, a, a lot of chin wagging going on when they saw that. Uh, Cause I've had people reach out to me, you know, from the industry. So I think that caught a lot of attention. And, and with that, some big companies, so there's a, a billion dollar company I actually saw running some ads. And then there's some very small companies I actually see running some ads. I'm kind of want to reach out to them and say, you know, I see you running ads. I'm, it's really great that you are, but let me help you because their ads are getting no interaction. Right, right. The content's terrible. And the yeah. billion dollar company with the billion dollar marketing team or the multi $10 million marketing budget, their content is redundant. They're not, they're not, they're running a dozen simultaneous ads with the same image. It's a stock photo and it, it just, it's not even compelling to anybody. And I so, see that. Yeah. You see it all you, the time. Have you said, I don't know if you've, I don't want to call out any companies by name, but I'm sitting there like, and I guarantee you they're spending big numbers. I'm spending a thousand a week. How much you want to bet they're spending a couple zeros more. And, um, I, I, you know, they're using it. Maybe they're doing it for brand. Like, again, I, I can't speak to what their intent is, but what I know, what they're not getting, what they're not getting is uh, inbound, in, inbound. What they're not doing is demand generation. They might right. be doing brand awareness, but they're not doing content demand gen. Well, what I see a lot is, and I'm, it's not when I say I've seen a lot of it, it's not on Facebook. What I'm thinking of is all the email advertising I get because, you know, I'm, I'm subscribed to all the ophthalmology stuff. And they don't go to a decent, if you do click on something, it doesn't go to a decent landing page. Um, it doesn't inform you anymore. It might even take you just to the website where you're on your own. So it doesn't create anything constructive. So a lot of this stuff is really bad. And some of these are, you know, $125 million companies that should know better and and they don't. Um, another thing I was going to ask you, a minute ago, you talked about being able to I guess, calculate or analyze the traffic on the website, like somebody that comes in and, and looks around on the website. Are you able to identify that person with your in, with the analytics you have and then know, let's say, before you even talk to them that they've spent 10 minutes or 15 minutes on the site? Do you want me to share you the, I'm, I'm going to share, you want me to share a screen and show you a, a peek into the black ops of, of uh, website tracking? Sure. There's so every CRM has this. This you know HubSpot came up with this stuff years ago. HubSpot's what, incredibly expensive. What CRM are you using? Um, the co the company already had uh, a, a product called Zoho. Okay, yeah, is, it's a it's a pretty robust um, software system, and they have lots of add-ons. So virtually every CRM company now is like a HubSpot. They have yeah. all these extra modules you can pay extra for. But the one thing that I know to be certain is I'm running a chatbot. I've used Drift in the past. Drift is great. I love everything about Drift, what Drift did, except they recently changed their pricing structure to pretty much an enterprise-only model. So small business is pretty much out of purchasing Drift. And um, it was just so easy to use, the interface setting it up. Zoho requires a developer. 
And luckily we are a software company. So I have a number of IT people internally that were able to figure out their proprietary coding because you can hire one of Zoho's developers to do whatever you need to do. But anyway, so we were able to, instead of migrating to a different software, which is a whole other process. When I came on board, the first thing my CEO said, you know, here's our CRM. Can we use it? I said, it's good enough. I'm a big believer in like, you know, don't, you know, it's from the the rules of high performance management systems, HPMS. Don't let perfection get in the way of good enough is like, right. So I'm a big believer in like, it's good enough. We can live with it. I'm, I, you know, I'm pretty basic when it comes to using CRM. I believe in putting information in, organizing your pipeline, using, you know, extracting the data for email blast. And other than that, I don't really get too technical on, I run a couple dashboards, a couple things to measure, to measure the processes, but I'm not, you know, especially at early stage startups, we're not doing a lot of technical stuff. So one of the things I'll share, I'll share this with you. It's pretty cool. And what you can do if people even know to do this, and I'll share with you the, the uh, reason to do it. I just have to uh, move a screen here. So this is a um, IP tracking software that's tied into it's, it's part of Zoho's package. What you can see is uh, I have a chat bot that's running. So this is a history of, of, of chats that were ongoing. Let me see here. I was trying to get out of here. Let me close this window. So you can see what happens is I have the chat is automated to segment out patients from providers. Uh, Lots of patients, like I told you, coming into the site. Um, But when somebody engages with the bot and they put in their email from that point forward, their IP is tagged and we know who they are. Got it. Okay. I'm going to need you to blur some of this stuff out later, by the way. Um, Yeah. What I'll do is I'll blur that whole left-hand side that shows names. Yeah. Sorry about that. Um, no problem. Yeah. And, and, but within here, what's really interesting is like, you can do a visitor history. And one thing I do is, I mean, there are thousands and thousands of, of traffic. So this shows me everyone who's online right now. Um, but let me go in and show you like a visitor history. And if I choose someone, well, first of all, you can see what their source is. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that you could say here, but you can see I'm running an ad right now. So is it no surprise that most of the, you know, the majority of the hits are coming in from Facebook. I have their IP address. I can click on another link. You know, you you can, you can export all this stuff. You can see what pages they're on, but let me show you this. This is pretty, just to show you how, uh, how specific this can get. I'm going to need you to blur this stuff out, but you know, you can do this and like, you can, I can take you to their front door with a, a longitude and latitude. So like, oh, wow. so where would you use this? Why would you use this? Let me stop the share and uh, you're going yeah. to have to blur everything, but it, it, it is really cool from a, somebody visits your website. They're on multiple pages. When you respond to them, then you tell your message based off the pages they were on. They were on the financial page. Hey doctor, I, you know, um, I thought, you know, you're not calling them out and telling them that you can see this, even though whoever watches your show will know I can. Instead, you're you're tailoring your message for them. Something most of our, our providers really like is our financial calculator. Here's a link to that page. Because I know they're going to go click on that link because they were interested in all the financial pages. Right? right. Okay. So that's how you use that information. You use it to tailor. You see what pages they were on. Like I said, I can run a report. I can see how many pages, how what length of time. And every CRM has this capability at this point. You just have to activate it, turn it on. I, and it's negligible. It's a couple dollars a month to turn it on. The chatbot and the chatbot's actually included free, you know. So yeah. that's that's this version Zoho because it requires so much manual customization um, versus a company like Drift used to charge five thousand dollars a year. Now they're charging fifty just to get started with them because it's 
it's so easy. I can program it just dragging and dropping. So everything in between, do it yourself. If you have the IT software developers, which we have at our company, because we're basically a software company. So then you're, when we talked about the demand generation spectrum at the beginning, you're really close to the other end of the spectrum where somebody comes into the website, they identify themselves, they look around so you can find out what they're interested in. And that information then feeds the CRM data and says, you know, Dr. Smith showed this much interest because they stopped in three pages. We're going to give them a lead ranking of six and that triggers a four email campaign and maybe videos are embedded in each email. And if the doctor watches two complete emails, the sales rep is tagged and says, you better call this guy. So, here's so that's where, the, I'll back up though, because I don't do any of that other stuff. No, I know that. Yeah. Cause I don't believe in it. I want okay. to really call So that's the difference of the MarTech companies that are doing email nurture sequences. And listen, it has to do with what's your average ticket. Right. What's, what's, what's your, what's your annual contract value? Um, you know, how quick is your sales cycle for me? All those names that were identified in there, um, they can they either contact requests. So there's a couple things. Most of them filled out a form somewhere. They engage with the chat bot or their contact request. That's great. Those are people I've engaged with the thousand other people who never asked to be contacted. I'm just looking and seeing, was that content good? Did it drive people in? What was the average scroll length? We don't even have their contact information, but even if I did, I wouldn't reach out to them anyway. Yeah. I'm only going to reach out to somebody who's raised their hand. It's called, it's chasing cats, right? Like I, I don't want to chase cats, right? right? I want people to come to me who are saying I'm interested in having a conversation. That to me is the difference between a lead. So this goes back to what's a lead uh, registered for a webinar and didn't show up. It's a name on a list. It's not a lead, right? showed up to the webinar and didn't ask to be contacted, but they digested your content. Still not a lead. I don't want my sales development person calling somebody that came to a webinar, stayed for an hour and didn't ask to be contacted. I don't want to contact them. I might send them a piece at that point. I would probably like to send them a relevant piece of content in the future, maybe in a few weeks to invite them to the next panel discussion that's different from the current panel discussion. So here's another point. Um, Company-led webinars is one of your original questions, right? Are they dead? They've been dead forever. Why do I need to register to attend a live webinar with someone reading a slide deck that they're going to do again next month over and over and over again? Just if that's what you want to do, record it and put it on, on your website and I can watch it anytime and ungate it. Like you don't need my email because you're going to get my contact and you're going to have how much time has been spent from sales reps calling people who had to submit their information for gated content that never wanted to be called? 99% so the, of it, right? So the counterpoint I would have to that goes back to, um, I don't know if you saw my interview with Jeff Howell of Eliacare, and he was the one that was telling us about using embedded videos and emails. And he was talking about how they use a, um, they use a sequence of uh, videos that talk about a different feature and they do track it and it makes a big difference because what he does is he watches the interaction with the videos. And then at a particular point in time, if, if he sees it's in somebody, let's say two emails into the sequence out of four, two of, out of the four, somebody watched the complete video. 
maybe watched it twice, maybe watched it three times. He can see all that. Sure. Then he just interrupts the sequence, gets on the phone, and that's his he crashes right through the gatekeeper. Hey, uh, you know, Julie, Dr. Smith, you know, has been watching this video several times. Um, he seems like he might have a couple questions about our product. I thought I'd give him a call. So now he's got a ticket through the gatekeeper. It's all virtual. He doesn't have to go face to face. And he says it works like a charm and people will get right on the phone. Oh yeah. I like that video. That's pretty interesting. And now he's got an, he's got an entree you know, to find, to further qualify them, see how much further down he can take him in the funnel. So it's, um, I think there's a lot of thing it depends on, but I find this whole thing fascinating. And it, for you, I just, this whole Facebook thing just blew me away and I'm what it generated for you. And I'm just excited to hear about what happens in the future. Yeah. I listen, I, I like the idea of the video, what, you know, what that person's doing that's different is they are delivering interesting content. Right. So they're, right. they're using email in a different way than most people are using email. Exactly. So that's the one thing. The, the, the areas where it would depend on it, for example, is, is it a product? So I'm willing to bet that the product that they're selling is probably something that other companies also sell. So it may be, you know, it's, it's not a unique market or a paradigm shifting technology, which is a totally different sales cycle or learning curve. Yeah. There could be points to that. Yeah. 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 So, so, you know, I, you know, because this is a technique and strategy that like, you know, again, like, you know, 100 million AAR companies um, will use these nurture email sequences. They're paying big dollars, multi six figures for MarTech software that does these uh, automated campaigns, et cetera. Different beast than pre-equity raise startups. Right. 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 And so from a pre-equity, say, you know, you said it in the beginning, do it yourself. I mean, I've never considered it like a DIY model. It's just, I am the person doing it. I'm, I'm in charge of the number, right? The salesperson. So I'm doing the, you know, I'm doing the marketing. My first person I want to hire is a marketing person. In fact, and we were going to talk about this, I think at some point, or we talked about it before, which was, um, I believe companies, especially like mine early stage and even, you know, sub 25 million or maybe sub 50 million, they should have double the marketing headcount versus sales today. In the past, it was one or two marketing people for 20 salespeople. Exactly. I believe I would like a team of five marketing people right now to take all of it off my plate. The podcast, the video editing, you do the video editing, you know how much of a hassle. Oh it is. yeah, it is. it's a lot of work. <laughs> now I add into it, content creation, running Facebook ads, tracking right. metrics. I don't need it. I just want to answer the phone call from the contact request form who said, Hey, I'm interested in learning more. Like that's what I love to do. Right. So I'm, I'm, I'm a salesperson. I want, but that, that's my true belief. I believe I can grow this company much bigger with five marketing people first before hiring five more salespeople. I don't need, to, I believe hiring salespeople to fulfill demand, not to create, not to create demand anymore. It's just, it's, it worked in 1988 and maybe even still in the nineties. But the truth is I've seen a lot of companies burn and fizzle out under, under a headcount of 15 to 20 salespeople at 25 million, you know, annual revenue uh, sales organizations and under, and they've gone bankrupt. So, you know, we, you're, you're in the eye care sector too. So, you know, some of the same startups I'm talking about that have right. burned and burned and, and they've, they've hired salespeople. They just burned on, on that expense. So that's kind of why I'm, I mean, I'm pretty much a true believer of this demand gen, but you have to understand the intent and, and you have to, you have to target appropriately. You have to set the right expectations. You know, there's a lot that goes into it. I mean, I can't, you know, it's hard to distill, 50 hours or a hundred hours of someone else's content into, uh, 
into a, a one, one segment, but that's that's really kind of what goes into. That's just a start. I think everyone should pretty much take advantage of it. Start somewhere. Oh, this is this is great, and we've covered everything. I'm I'm looking down at my notes here, and we have covered all of these uh, points. And I and I really like that quote that you just had a second ago. You said sales is to fulfill. Give me that quote again. Yeah, yeah. I think you should hire salespeople to fulfill demand, not to create it at this point. There, there you go. Exactly. Most company, most, I mean, again, it depends on what you have, but if you're launching something, you're, you're from my care, it's a fickle beast. Yeah. And launching something new, I just think you need to create demand uh, before you go hiring. You know, if you hire, you think you're going to hire 15 salespeople to go launch something for you, I think it's a mistake unless, unless a whole lot of people already want it. You know, you know, it's a good example. A great company that launched was like a Vidro, right? A Vidro had a monstrous launch. The product was delayed for years. Right. Approval year after year after year. I know pretty much everyone over there that went and launched it and crushed. By the time it launched, you had doctors lined up who already had deposits down for multiple years waiting to take the thing. So, so that's a different beast, right? They hired headcount. They went out and they, they, they crushed with it. Um, and other companies could could speak to the same thing. But in terms of there's a whole lot of other companies in those six foot booths on the back walls of the trade shows that I don't even think they should be in the six foot booth or the 10 foot booth paying 10, 20, 50, you know, 50 grand. I just think you took 50 grand, you put it into paid social, you generate more sales and sell more deals than if you went to the trade show. I mean, we're going to one trade show this upcoming year. And that's, I mean, so we're going to do one that's in our next door headquarters. And aside from that, like we're going to skip a couple of the big ones. Yeah. But I'd rather have the money for, for outbound content. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And I just have to say the first time Bob and I, well, the first time I saw Bob's post in MedTech Leaders, I was scratching my head. And then when you and I talked, I was just blown away. Um, we'll have to visit this again sometime in the future and see how this is going. And I, and I, I commend you. I commend you, you know, for what you've done. And so the, the guy that you listen to, Chris. Yeah. Chris Walker, Chris Walker Refine labs has a podcast series on YouTube called demand gen. Okay. I mean, it's like, it's must watch TV for anyone who's trying to launch a med device company. I think it's, I just think it's the way to go. And there's, and he has experts on from other areas. So if you're a larger company, company, um, you know, he deals a lot with these enterprise level companies. So, uh, SEO experts that talk about, you know, landing. I haven't even gotten to landing page optimization or SEO yet because I'm trying to win on brand before I'm trying to, I'm not even worried about someone searching a keyword search. Cause right now there's virtually no search volume for our keyword right. searches. Instead, I want someone to go to Google. I want to win on brand way before that ever happens. I want them to go to Google and type in 2020 now. And then the Netflix documentary was Oh no, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, so Netflix documentary is uh, the social dilemma. I think that's just good good fun to watch to see how dialed in they have their advertising platform. You're going to watch it, it's going to make you want to do a paid ad. And then um and then the yeah, Chris's thing on YouTube and all, obviously all the audio it's the the same things mirrored out on audio. I, I I have to give him full credit cuz I actually wanted to hire him to do all this stuff, which is what he does. But he gives the content out for free because what he knows is most people won't have the wherewithal to actually execute and do it. Exactly. So he gives, he follows it. He gives fully ungated advice. And that's exactly what I did. I went to him. I was like, I want to hire you. And when he told me the bill, I was like, 
can't do it. <laughs> he, <laughs> he already knew I couldn't afford to hire him. Right. But you want to talk about some, I mean, he spent an hour with me um, one-on-one one day without even, um, you know, knowing that I wasn't even qualified just because I had questions. You right. know? So I think it's, it'd, it'd be good, um, good education for anyone who, who watches this, you know? Super. Okay. Well, we'll wrap it up. And I really thank you for the time today. This has been fascinating and it's going to be great to share it with so many other people. Yeah, no, I, I certainly appreciate the opportunity to be on the show. I, I wish it was, I wish it was all my original thoughts instead of me just sharing what I've repurposed. But I think there's a, a lot to say about, about, you know, actually going out and executing it. So I, I certainly appreciate your time and having me on the show as well. But that's the point is that you went out and you executed it. Yeah. You know, that that's the whole point, which means other people can do it too, which is the point of the program. So it's easily learnable, but it's you're you're you wish you had like I wish I had I, I wish I had Chris on demand where I could like, you know, dial him up. But what do I do here? What do I do there? But you gotta figure it out and mess up some stuff. And and uh, I messed up some stuff. Like I said, I got my first ad, I, I got my account deleted, you know. <laughs> so uh, you know, I, I didn't know I couldn't do it. So um yeah, it's it's a learning curve, but it's it's not a it's not a hard learning curve. It's just it's a time consuming one, as you know. Just editing these podcast videos is is time consuming. You know, yes, you, it really is. You develop your own workflow, then you have your intro that you tag on to everything, and and then and you notice that you start improving your own workflows. Same thing happens with that. It's just it's it's with repetition, right? With anything. Yep. Yeah. And like I like I say to some other interesting guests. We reserve the right to come back in six, eight months and talk to you again and see how it's going. I, I, I certainly hope that I'm still here and that my what I hung my hat on pans out into some sales because I've definitely hung my hat on this marketing strategy. So I certainly hope to be able to come back and show you the uh, the pipeline then and the the because you measure all this stuff on revenue. And that that's the real metric. Forget about number of MQLs and SQLs. It's all based off if the revenue number is right, then what you're doing is working. Exactly. Yep. Great. Well, thanks a lot, Bob. Sure. Have a great day. You bet. Bye. Facebook for MedTech. Wow. Hard to believe. But it worked for Bob, and it might work for you. Just be sure that all social media content is cleared by a regulatory department and on file in the quality system. See the show notes for some helpful links to resources that were mentioned during the episode. And for more helpful content and access to our subject matter experts, consider trying a free trial in the MedTech Leaders community. You can learn more at medtechleaders.mn.co. Thank you so much for joining us today. And if you like this podcast, please recommend it to a friend, rate it, and or subscribe. Now go win your week. <laughs>